Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Tuesday Night Jaw Meets on the Distraction Pieces Network. Great show today, having a chat to the newly full-time uh, Eddie Dennis, who's a wonderful guy, really a good chat that we both have. Um, before we get to that, some big news. Um, I announced it today on Twitter. My Twitter's at Jim Smallman, if you weren't aware. Um, basically, I've been asked to do Tuesday Night Jaw as part of a special wrestling day um, at the London Podcast Festival this year. As luck would have it, uh, the day of the wrestling special day is Saturday, September the 9th, which is the day before the huge Progress Alexandra Palace show, which has less than 100 tickets left for it. So um, I'm going to do a live podcast, and it's kind of a combination of all the things that you guys love. So there'll be some special guests on it, so it's a combination of the Tuesday Night Jaw Meets episodes. It's uh, a little bit like a roundtable, because we'll have regular panellists who will come on and we will uh, discuss a topic. It's a little bit like one of my list shows where there's certain rules that you have to go by, and there'll probably be puns in there as well. We're going to try and debate in 90 minutes um, between the panellists and the guests and the audience and everybody the dream card if you were putting a wrestling show together the dream card seven match dream card what would it be and we're going to try and debate that all together it'll probably be a proper laugh doing it and if you're coming down to london for the alexandra palace show for progress then it makes sense coming to that as well it's noon saturday september the 9th um you can buy i think you can buy combination tickets for various podcasts but just to come to tuesday night jaw uh, it's 12 pounds 50 um and i'd love to see some of you there they've put me in a big room a room that holds 400 people there's no way i'm gonna fill it but you know if you guys want to help try and fill it then let's do it and i'll be honest after it i'm kind of done so if you just want to hang out let's all hang out let's all go to trocadero and play video games together if you fancy do you fancy doing that anyway the link to buy tickets is via the normal uh, website i point you at jimsmorman.com slash tnj jimsmorman.com slash tnj there's a big link at the top uh, in blue where you can uh, click on and you can buy tickets for saturday september the 9th live tuesday night jaw i will announce guests as and when i've agreed them um but there'll be certain tuesday night jaw regulars and there'll be a few special guests and it'll just be a good laugh so i'd love it if you came along to it saturday september the 9th go to jimsmorman.com slash tnj should you want to get tickets to the live tuesday night jaw loads of people already have which is genuinely touching appreciate it but let's get loads of us there let's fill it out and let's show them what tuesday night jaw is all about eh? yes good anyway to today obviously check out everything on the distraction pieces network because it's all good um, and obviously check out my wrestling company, progresswrestling.com, for tickets and merch, demand-progress.com, uh, in order to be able to watch all of our shows from the last five and a bit years. And someone you will see quite a lot of, because he's a former Progress Tag Team champion, is the wonderful Pride of Wales, Eddie Dennis, someone I like very, very much indeed. He's a fantastic human being. Um, and as you're going to learn 
from the course of this podcast. He's someone who has recently, and he released a video himself, and he's spoken about it. Someone who has just become a full-time wrestler. Um, and I think it blows a lot of people's minds when they realise that not everybody is necessarily a full-time wrestler. And this is a man who had a really excellent career. So um, we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. We're going to have a chat about his origins um, and just chat about what the future holds for him. Um, and he's a good dude, uh, Eddie. He really is. If you get a chance, you see him on an independent show anywhere in the United Kingdom or beyond over the next few months. You know, he has great merch. Buy some of his merch. Support him because it's it's literally his lifeblood now. So, you know, support him because he's a good dude. Um, and he's a great wrestler as well. So he's, he's someone I always like seeing in our locker room because he's someone who just cheers everybody up. He's a great guy. Great guy to have around. And I, I'm delighted that we could have this chat especially when it's as important to him as it is with him just being his, this being his first week of being a full-time professional wrestler. It's a really cool thing for us to do. And, you know, I'm someone who took a risk. I took a risk to become a full-time stand-up comedian. That was, I think, uh, nine or ten years ago now. And it's a big deal to do. Anyone who'll know about following their dreams and chasing their ambition will realise that it's a big plunge to take when you have to quit regular nine-to-five job and go into the unknown. So it's, he's a brave guy for doing this, but I have no doubt he's going to make it a success. And it's great to have spoken to him uh, today. So I hope you guys really get on board with this and really support him. And like I say, if you see him at a show, you know, go and buy some of his merch. Go and have a chat with him. He's a good dude. Okay. So uh, me and Eddie Dennis having a chat now. I'll come back at the end and wrap things back up again. But enjoy me meeting Eddie Dennis. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Mr. Eddie Dennis. 
What's occurring, Jim? I, I love I called you Mister. Like, it, it's <laughs> yeah, that's a... it now. Nobody can call me Mister anymore. Now I'm just Eddie Dennis <laughs> or Edward. It's right. So I've 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 set this up in the in the sort of preamble before the podcast, and obviously you released a video last week. I did um, indeed when you went full time, and the video I is did. beautifully shot, by the way. Um, James Musselwhite. All the credit in the world to the. The genius that is James Musselwhite from Portrait from a rest, uh, of a wrestler. He makes people, he makes great videos. He makes people look good. And also when he takes photos, he makes everyone look ripped. He took a picture of me. <laughs> he took a picture of me and I look ripped. So, you yeah. know, he deserves credit. The wonders of Photoshop, right? It, it, so, I mean, how long ago did you make that video? I'm genuinely um, curious. Half term. So I I need to give a terms notice in uh, where I work. So yeah. I um, I'd made the decision by about February of this year, mm-hmm. and then we shot the video in May half term. Yeah. So because um, obviously the, the school needed to be deserted to shoot it. Sure. Um, so yeah, so we shot it, and then and then James edited it over the over about four weeks, I guess. Yeah. And it's it, it it's such a it's such a big thing to do. I mean, how long, legitimately, were you thinking? Right. So let's let's put it into in, into perspective. So, how long have you been a teacher for? Um, so I've been a teacher for about. Well, I've worked in the the school which I work in, or the school which I did work in. I've been in for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I did some uh, supply teaching and stuff. So I, I did my PGC, and then after I did my PGC, I went out to Canada to train for wrestling, and mm. then I returned and did some supply work, and I sort of fell into this school, which I ended, teach, ended up teaching at for, for seven years. So if you're including my PGC, uh, I guess it's like nine years. Mm. Uh, if you're not including that year, then, then, then it's seven, I suppose, because uh, there's a little stopgap between. And were you, did you always... I mean, if we put wrestling to one side for a second, was teaching what you always saw yourself doing? Mm, no, not really. I mean, I didn't really know ever what I wanted to do. So I've mentioned this on things before, but like the the basic principle would, I'd say, would be when you're five and you want to have a fantastical job like mm. a like a firefighter or an astronaut or whatever i wanted to be a wrestler yeah. so that was that was my answer to that question and when you're 12 or 13 there's like a weird which is ridiculous as, as a school teacher i think this is ridiculous by the way but there is this r- weird expectation that at 12 or 13 you start giving a sensible answer yeah like that's kind of the age where you suddenly need need to realize that dreams don't come true and you've got to have a sensible job, you know. Um, and I never knew, I, I, you know, I'm a decent academic. I, I was a, I was a decent kid at school. Um, I was by no means like the top of the class, by no means the bottom of the class. I was probably in, the, you know, the, the, the top two thirds sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I just I just had no idea, no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I stuck to sort of academic a levels and then obviously did a very academic degree just purely because i was intelligent enough to do a degree and didn't know what what else um what else to do so i'd always just tell people when i was 12 or 13 what do you want to be when you're older a wrestler 16 17 what do you want to be when you're older a wrestler i'd never, <laughs> been, to a rest, never been to a wrestling school in all my life i had no idea how you would accomplish that but that's the thing that I always loved, and I didn't have a better idea. And then um, when I was like 16 or 
maybe 15, 15 perhaps, I got a job working in a play scheme. Right. Um, so working with children. And I guess that was the f- that was way back then. Look back in retrospect, that was the foot in the door that led towards teaching. Mm. You know, that was the realization that uh, I could work with children. Do you know what I mean? And that was a that was a skill of mine was interacting with 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 children. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, worked in that play scheme right the way through my my university life and um, my sort of uh, A levels, and then um, when once I'd finished my degree. Uh, did a PGC just sort of because I knew I didn't want to get a graduate a graduate job yeah. straight out of uni. So I did a degree in maths. I knew I didn't want to get a job as, you know, uh, an accountant or a job in an office or a job in a bank or, you know, I, I knew I didn't want something like that. Mm. And I didn't see much value in getting a job working in, say, HMV or working in the cinema, um, which would have, you know... I'd have taken home, say, say 12 grand for working full time. Yeah. Um, when I could have done a PGC, got paid a £7,000 tax free grant, another £2,000 because I did it in Welsh. Um, still, oh, nice. Get, <laughs> yeah, nice, nice little uh, backhander. Um, still, still not have to pay any council tax because I was a student, you know, still live in student accommodation. So, so cheap living costs. That seemed like a more sensible thing to do for a year yeah because it was just a stopgap it was just because i didn't know what to do i think i get a qualification out of it and i'll still be able to save money um so i did my pgc purely by then i was starting to think about actually trying to pursue wrestling and then once i finished my pgc um i went off and trained wrestling for a time um so yeah i, I never the, the plan was never to be a teacher but i suppose from a reasonably young age I understood that I liked working with children mm. or I understood that that was something which I could do better than other people. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's all, that's all having a job or a skill is right. It, it's, it's subjective to the rest of the population. Yeah. So you, you're only good at maths in comparison to other people, good at football in comparison to other people. I was good at working with children in comparison to other people. Mm. To me, it's not rocket science, but a lot of people struggle with it. So I guess, I guess there must be a skill to it. I just couldn't define what that skill is. I mean, it's weird. I mean, I, I worked in teaching for like six months in between um, doing what you did. And so I, I gave up um, I gave up working in the fashion industry because I've been doing stand-up for three years and stand-up was starting to take over a little bit. So I was like, okay, I need to quit my pretty decent job in the fashion biz. And then what I need to do is find something else to do. And I, I happened to go into my old school and they said, oh, do you want to train to be a teacher? I went, um, <laughs> okay. So they were paying me to, to train. And then I just, uh, I, I, six months in, stand-up took over. And, and that was yeah. that. Um, but it, it was something. I, I genuinely enjoyed doing it. I can understand, I think, I couldn't when I came out of university. But I can understand it now why people choose to be teachers. Um, because it is there is a, re- a proper, and I'm sure you've, you've seen this, I haven't done it for a lot longer than I did, there's, there's a proper sense of achievement of, of seeing kids grow and, uh, and you know, my, I'll use my daughter as an example. My daughter, when she, um, when she started high school recently, wasn't yeah. particularly good at maths, but she's got a good teacher and she's got loads better at maths and she's, you know, you can see, oh, yeah, you can that's... see a progression and that, and that must, that must be a really rewarding part of the job. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, it's definitely, it's one of those jobs where the thing which keeps you doing it year in, year out is the immense sense of job satisfaction. Mm. And also, like, I really think there's more to life than, than like, decadence. There's more to, to happiness than, like, decadence and enjoying yourself. Yeah. So I think that, like, true happiness doesn't come from, like, how much fun you have or mm. how much you enjoy yourself. I think that true happiness, that a big element of true happiness is, like, feeling that, uh, feeling good about yourself. Do you know what I yes, mean? Yes, totally So agree. Feel, feeling like you, you make a positive contribution to society, feeling that you're a worthwhile, you know, feeling that you have worth. Mm. And, and, and the one thing about teaching, like, I'd go to bed real late because I'd come home from work real late and I'd wake up real early and I'd be real run down and I'd be real stressed out because of the things that were going on in the organisation. But I would never not have a sense of worth. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I Like, as soon as you'd walk through those doors and start interacting with children, you immediately think, like, I am making a, a, a positive contribution. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I am, I am, I'm helping. Because they got, you know, they, they, they're moldable at that stage. Do you know what I mean? So sure. they've, they've, they've interacted with, especially when, when I moved down to, to I, I was trained as a secondary school teacher, but I ended up moving down to a junior school to be a head teacher. Junior school age children, they've only interacted with X amount of adults in their lives. Mm. And that X amount is quite, is quite small. So you can you can really 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 make an impact in shaping their early foundations of how they think an adult should behave. Yeah. So if you behave in a certain way, if you speak in a certain way, if you treat people in a certain way, then it has a profound effect on them, sure. especially if they have like a, you know, a respect and an admiration for you and you're really fortunate and really blessed when you're in a role like a head teacher's role because you automatically have that do you know what I mean? Like they they walk in respecting the person who's in charge. So if you if you treat people in a good way, if you interact people in a nice way, and you do that in front of them, and you interact with them in a nice way, you you know you form their opinions on what is the correct way to act to people. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And that's 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 a powerful thing. You know that 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 of course makes you feel real good about yourself and gives you that sense of worth, which I think is. Is, is probably why people get into teaching. Um, uh, certainly, why I stayed in teaching for as long as I did. Mm. I can't, I can't, I can't lie to you and say it's why I got into teaching. I <laughs> fell into, I fell into teaching, but yeah. but it's probably why I stayed as long as I did. Um, so obviously, you were prior to, to quitting. You were a, you were a head teacher. Now, mm. how many of the kids that you uh, you taught and were, were head teacher in the school that you're in how many of those kids are aware that Mr Dennis quit being their head teacher to become a full-time professional wrestler <laughs> uh, every, uh, every last one of them because um the the organization and the school were really cool about it when i went in and handed my notice in i explained why i was doing it um they were super behind it they were super supportive of it the press release that they released to parents said i was going off to chase my dream of being a wrestler that's so, tremendous uh, every, everyone knew why it was happening you know um it gave my last few but certainly my last few weeks at the school to a certain extent my last few months at the school but certainly the last few weeks it gave it a weird uh, a real different feel to what mm. you'd get normally when a popular head teacher's leaving because i think if you 
normally when you get a popular head teacher, pop, when I say popular, I mean, you know, sort of like respected by the parents and, yes. the, and the staff and the pupils, um, not necessarily just liked. Um, and I think that when normally when you have one leaving, they're leaving because they're going on to a different headship. Sure. Um, and, and I think that, that when you, if you're a popular mathematics teacher and you move on because you're moving on to become the head of department somewhere, mm-hmm. I think that the, the parents, pupils, uh, other staff are quite accepting of that because you, you're getting a promotion, right? But I think when you leave as a head, you can only be going to another headship, really, if, yeah. you stay in, if you're staying within the profession. So I think that if you are a popular, well-respected head, you do have to wrestle with the fact that maybe some people are like, why is our school not good enough for you? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, because I was going off to do this, it was like the whole thing, even though I was like, the whole thing was a celebration. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's parents cool. and parents understood that what I was doing was a really good message to the children. Um, parents understood why I was doing it. And um, it was lucky, I think, that like, if the first, <laughs> maybe if the first few parents had been like, well, this is selfish. He's only been in the organization for two years. He's messing our children around to chase some pipe dream that he's had <laughs> since his since his early teens sort of thing. Um, then then maybe it would have all gone that way because the first few parents were really, really, really openly supportive. I think yeah. if any parents did have what I said previously in the back of their heads, they were too nervous to say it yeah, to, sure. for fear of getting shot down by everyone else, you know? So the whole experience was lovely. Like we have like a uh, a celebration day at the end of the year where all the parents come together with the kids and stuff, and and that that was really 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 nice for me because you know the parents were so generous and the kids were so genuinely sort of um, upset that I was leaving, but 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 happy that I was going off to do something exciting. Um, so many sweet messages in like cards and notes and emails and um and letters and things that just i'll keep all of them because they're, they're really precious you know that that, that that people care about you doing well that much did you when you first got into teaching because i mean you've been wrestling as long as you've been teaching haven't you just about yeah probably yeah. a little bit longer wrestling so i mean i started training well i started training for wrestling while i was training to teach so yeah, yeah pretty much exactly the same 2008 I was training to be a teacher and I started training wrestling at the same time. So did you ever try and keep the fact that you were a wrestler away from the kids? <laughs> yeah, for years, um, <laughs> which is ridiculous because I didn't even change my name. <laughs> um, it's stu- so stupid. Um, so yeah, when I got the, uh, I mean, when I, I've always been careful when I've gone into an organization and met the head for, say, an interview. Mm. I've always been careful to let them know about it because I think that they have to they have to know about it. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, I think if they find out about it because they see some video on YouTube or something and they call you in and they're like, why on earth didn't you tell, it, tell us about this? Like, I work, you know, you can work. I'm sure, I'm sure, my school wasn't at all, but I'm sure there are schools out there that wouldn't employ someone if they knew they were a wrestler. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm sure that that would exist. Um, so I've always told the organization, but then I've always requested that the organization keep it from the children. Mm. I was like, because I just didn't, I figured it wasn't that I was ashamed of being a wrestler. I'm, I'm very proud of being a wrestler. I run a clothing company, which has wrestling in the title. I obviously 
obviously mm. proud of being a wrestler, but but I just didn't think it would help in a maths classroom, you know? Yeah. I didn't think that if if I was a if I was a, you know, I was a fourteen year old kid who really loved wrestling and I was also kind of good at maths. And I think if my maths teacher was a wrestler, I'm not sure it would have helped my relationship with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it would have just distracted me. Because I would have just want to ask him how you do a pile driver instead of how you solve a simultaneous equation. Yes. You know? um, so, so I did try and keep it from them. But then uh, some kids obviously saw my name badge said E. Dennis and started Googling names. And oh. then all, all of a sudden it shows up on YouTube and, uh, and then they come into school and they're like, you're the pride of Wales, you are. And I'm like, nah, it's my twin brother. And <laughs> I, I, I held on to this, I held on to this gag with the kids that it was my twin brother, even though none of them believed it for way longer than, than, than I had any right to. Um, but uh, eventually when like, I don't know, when two-thirds, it seemed, of the school community knew I went to see the director of, educa- uh, the director of sport. Mm. And I was like, listen, they all know sports relief is coming up. Let's do something cool with it. So we ran a show at the school awesome. um, to raise money for, school, for, for sport relief, um, which was, you know, absolutely terrific. We ended up doing it again two years later. Oh, nice. And, um, yeah, they were just... That, that was really cool because... Yes, it exposed me in front of them as being a wrestler, but but then also like the day after, because it's the it was the uh, it was the scandal of it which made it interesting to the children. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah, of course. So as soon as I've done it in school, in a school event in front of all of them, there's no scandal to it anymore. No, you've taken um, it away. Yeah. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, there's no real interest in talking to me about it. You know. Mm. Um, so it served its purpose in it stopping being the center of everyone's attention with regards to talking to me, um, and raised a bunch of money for charity, which was doubly cool. Have you ever had kids come up to you and say, I think I want to be a wrestler? Yeah, yeah, you get, so that's interesting. I had a a family at the start of this year, their mum came up to me and they were like, all they want to be is a wrestler. (laughs) Have you got any, have you got any advice? And and they're real young, you know, like, like one of the kids in like year three and the other one's in year five. So they're real young, Uh, way too young for me to suggest like a wrestling school that they could go to. Um, They're like, have you got any, any like advice on any things that they can do? Um, but I just tend to be like, uh, make sure that they get involved in loads of sports. You know, I did judo as, as like right through my my adolescence. Mm. Um, I think judo is like the best, like regardless whether you want to be a wrestler or an accountant. I think judo is the best sport a child can get involved in. My son, it's... my son will be doing it. We've, we've, we were talking about this me and my wife before because we know it's it's got such good grounding. Yeah, it's just it's just the best because it's like because it's uh because it is um uh, an eastern martial art it does have that that sort of like respect and formality which i think is a really good thing to teach in children and mm. instill in children but then on the same token it's a it's an olympic sport mm. so it, so it has that credibility behind it as well um and it's just it's just an amazing thing to do you know because you you, you gain such a I think you carry yourself in a better way if you've done a martial art like that because you're very respectful of people. It teaches you a lot of humility because there's always someone around the corner who can who can beat you up. Do you know what I mean? Sure. There's there's always there's always a, a, a bigger, tougher dude in um, in one of your clubs. 
Yes. Or lessons. And, um, you know, you bow and you come into the room and you bow and you start the session, you shake everyone's hands before you have a, a randori, so like a, a competitive sparring, if you like, um, with them and, and you shake their hands afterwards. And I just think it instills loads of really, really, really good things in kids. And it's also, you know, a super cool competitive sport where you can go away and, and compete on weekends. And, you know, the first time I ever went abroad was for a judo competition. Like, um, it, it opened up so many doors for me. So uh, that that's that's really like the only thing that I can suggest to real young kids when they want to get into wrestling. Do you think having uh, a martial arts background helps when you know when you start training to not just the, the the physical side of it, but the respect that you're talking about? Do you think that helps when you first get into wrestling because there are all the there is all the etiquette stuff involved in being backstage in wrestling that that most people seem to get straight away but you do get the odd person who struggles with you know sort of <laughs> and it did that sort of help when you were when you were training yeah it certainly helps um i i think that i think that the elements like that definitely help like the, the respect aspect of it understanding that obviously the physicality really helps and a lot of the movements for something like uh, judo are really similar so mm. the way we break falls exactly the same way in both in both sports um, your, your body mechanics it's a lot easier to learn how to do a work suplex if you spent 10 years throwing people when they're trying not to be thrown yeah that concept comes a lot easier to you um, but then on the same token like there are elements of wrestling which if you've been involved in a, a legitimate martial art like judo for a long time prior is frustrating mm. so like there is there's there's so much subjectivity in wrestling because it's a work so there's so much um who's to say who is better at wrestling yeah do you know what i mean like it's really easy to say who's better in a judo match it's of really course. easy to say who's better in a boxing match even in like a football match or a rugby match wrestling is so subjective like is Grado a better professional wrestler than Will Ospreay? That's completely objective. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, they I both mean. they both do a completely different act. You know, and that's just me that's just me plucking out two people who make a comfortable living off professional wrestling so are clearly good at it. Yes. You course, know, yeah. by by everyone's definition they're good at it because that people pay to watch them perform. So, you know, there's two, and then, you know, you've got someone like Rampage who does a completely different act again. Hmm. Like, which of those three people are, are better professional wrestlers? It's so subjective. And that subjectivity can lead to, I think, frustrations in a in a training environment sometimes because you can get so many different opinions. Hmm. And if you're trying to learn how to do it, that can be frustrating because one person will tell you to do it one way and one person will tell you to do it another way and a third person will tell you to do it another way and and no one's right and no one's wrong because it's all subjective and and you just have to if they're more experienced than you if they've accomplished more than you you just have to listen and be respectful of it whereas like in a judo environment for example if i win the british championships throw in someone with my tayatashi it might be technically all over the place but i just won the british championships with it so you can't tell me it's wrong you know what i mean it, it worked you know yeah i know what you so, mean so uh, whereas whereas obviously within wrestling you can you can throw a punch and it can be wrong but you know why is it wrong is it wrong because it doesn't look real is it wrong because it hurt them is you know, or is it wrong just because it's not the way you were taught how to do it? Sure. Um, 
with you training before you you got your because you went to Canada to train, didn't you? So I did for a little while. Yeah. Um, did you do any training here before you went to Canada? And did you backyard before? Yeah. Um, so I I wrestled at school with my friends. I wouldn't call it backyard in purely because we never really did it in the back garden. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, we, we we definitely wrestled at school every sort of like lunch and break time. Mm. Um, I look at my friends who were very much what I would call backyarders who yeah. then became professional wrestlers. And we definitely weren't that because we weren't very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did, we did wrestle at school, but it was like putting your school bags down on the floor and doing really rubbish rock bottoms and chalk slams, not like doing cord reds and 630s onto base rings set up in people's back gardens. Yeah. Like, you, like you see when you watch a cool backyard video. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I did that element of, of backyard insert certainly um with regards to training before i went to canada so i was doing my i was finishing my degree or maybe it was the summer after i'd finished my degree and i was speaking to my girlfriend at the time and i was like what what am i gonna do next year you know and uh i was reading a magazine and i see this advert for lance storm's wrestling academy and i was like you know what i've done everything my mum and dad have asked me to do I've gone off, I've got GCSEs, I've got A-levels, I've got a degree. This is what I wanted to do all along. So I'm going to go and do it. Yeah. And that's when I started looking into training. And my initial correspondence was with Lance. Um, and, and then I heard that there was a local wrestling company in Wales called Celtic Wrestling. And I heard they had a wrestling school. And I messaged Lance and I asked him, am I better off coming to you as a clean slate? Mm so that you can teach me from the ground up or am I better off getting some basics in this local wrestling promotion school where potentially you'll have to uh, iron out any sort of like mistakes or whatever in their training. Um, and and he was nice enough to reply and be like, oh, it's six of one, half a dozen the other, but you know, it's probably better you get a little bit of a base prior to coming here you know it's a it's a lot of money to come halfway around the world like at least at least do a few sessions and and check you you like it Mm. you know um so i started training in in the local uh in uh, celtic wrestling i ended up not going to lance's i ended up going to scott demore school instead um but but he was he was certainly the person who advised that i get a little bit of training in uh locally so i trained there between um I think between like February and September of 2008 and then me and a guy called Joe uh, flew out to Canada together in September to, to, to enroll in Scott Demore school. And we stayed until March of 2009. So about six months. That's a, I mean, that's a crazy, how old were you at the time? Um, I finished my degree. So, uh, I can figure this out. I've 21, 22? In, I've, I've got a degree in maths. Yeah. <laughs> 20, 22, maybe. Yeah. 22 sounds about right. That yeah. kind of number. That's a hell 31 of a... 31 now, come backwards. <laughs> that's, that's a hell of a thing to do, though, at 22 years old, isn't it? To, to travel to another country. To, to And I know it, it seems strange when the, you, you consider that, you know, we know wrestlers who are that sort of age, you know, Tyler Bates 20, Pete Dunn's 23, Will Ospreay's 24. Already you know, traveling the world with like massive worldwide organizations. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but I look back to when I was, when I was 22 years old and I'd just come out, I came out, I graduated when I was 22 
and I went and got a job and I didn't have a I don't think I have a clue what I'm doing now at 39 so yeah I know what you mean wrestling breeds funny maturity in people you Mm. know like because the industry in general especially the generation that I came through was so young Mm. you know so like now you have these like you have like a literally a roster full of false adults you know you have you have a roster full of these people who within the squared circle within their within their occupation they carry themselves like absolute adults Mm. but but they're not they're still they're still you know they're still kids or they're still young adults you know what i mean um uh, that stuff like that does happen i had a conversation with with tyler bate not too long ago who is you know, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world at 20 years old. But he did tell me he still believed in magic. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there is a balance there. Yeah, of course. You know, and and they're so... Because they've been in it, like, guys like Pete and guys like Tyler... Uh, Mark, to a certain extent, he's a little bit older than them, but like mm. they've been in it for such a long time. Yeah, they they carry themselves and conduct themselves within a wrestling environment like such an adult. Mm. But like the truth is, you know, they still live with their parents, and of course they still live with their parents. You know, they're like they're young, they're they 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 they're still young, young, yeah. young people. With regards to like like I think back to what I was like as a twenty year old. My God, like. It's miles off what Tyler Bate is. Yeah, um, so much more immature, you know. So, um, I mean, did you did you enjoy Canada? I mean, what was was day one of training in Canada? Was it an eye opener for you, or, or did you feel you had enough grounding by that point? Oh, no. So, <laughs> day one, me and me and this guy Joe, we flew into Toronto. I was like, let's have a little holidays. Um, Training's down in Windsor, Ontario. There's nothing in Windsor. It's like the unemployment capital of Canada. (laughs) So we weren't going to a nice place for seven months. Um, And uh, so we had a little holiday in Toronto first. Um, Saw a bunch of like the Toronto monuments and stuff. Mm. And then we got a coach down to, because we flew into Toronto. And then we got a coach down to Windsor. Um, Get the coach down there. um, Go to our our first wrestling class. We've got a hotel booked in in windsor for that evening because we need to find a more permanent residence yeah. like the subsequent day right um so we got a wrestling training scott super nice tyson dukes runs most of the training there super nice guy like just absolute gentleman kushida was training there at the time i remember Ooh. you saying that you oh, knew yeah. kushida i remember me and you having this conversation a little while ago actually yeah, so he was training there at the time. Akira uh, Akira Kawabata, who wrestled as Raijin in, in TNA, uh, who wrestled as Kiyoshi, sorry, in TNA, he was over there at the time. Joe Dorin was like a big American guy who wrestles as the Gaijin Nightmare in all Japan. Yep, he I was know, over yep. there. Yeah, so he was over there training at the time. Cat Power, Cat Power, who wrestles for Stardom now, she was over there wrestling at the time. So, like, there was loads of cool people at training. Yeah, a lot like, of talent amazing people to, to 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 train with for those six months but that first class johnny divine was there um and he trained in stampede and like as a part of our induction he gave us a stampede punch which means he just basically punched us in the face <laughs> like, it's not a work at all you just sit in the corner and he just punches you in the face you know nice and you're like okay cool yeah and he we go back to the hotel and we're like look at joe and i'm like how is that 
punch of divine and he was like not nice <laughs> and i was like yeah that sucked man um but yeah i mean apart from that they're the nicest people scott helped me a lot with um with finding a place to stay he had a connection with uh st Clair college which was like a, a technical college in in windsor um and they had empty dorms basically um and and the guy made an agreement with me and joe as long as we didn't like uh fraternize with the students <laughs> that we could that we could stay in in one of the empty dorms so we stayed in one of the empty dorms and we got to go and have breakfast with the students in the morning and that's pretty cool that that helped us a lot because obviously we didn't have to worry about our phone bill or like they had cable as a part of the as a part of the residency so we had cable tv and stuff and, and a kitchen and we didn't have to furnish it it was already furnished for us um which considering we were out there for six months which is obviously far too long mm. to stay in hotels in a cost-effective manner oh god but then, yeah but then probably too short to furnish uh a flat and rent it for six yeah. months you know yeah. and it's kind of hard to find fully furnished apartments there mm. um so it was it was the perfect the perfect fit for us and, and scott really helped us get that um so yeah it was an amazing experience i really loved it um in retrospect like i wouldn't change anything because a lot of cool things happened during the time sure and and i try not to 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 regret any like in retrospect we went out there too early in our wrestling careers Mm. so i went out there with kind of the mindset of making connections and and possibly being able to like get on shows and stuff and get a foot in the door out there Mm. um and in retrospect i wasn't good enough you know um i wasn't good enough i didn't know enough um i wasn't experienced enough so i couldn't capitalize it on it from that perspective the same way that guys like kashida because he is a little bit further into the business when he went there and you know he 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 accessed more because he was better you know yeah sure um so he he, he was show ready whereas you know i was show ready for a small show in wales but i wasn't really show ready for what for what they were for the for what they were putting on you know mm. um but but it was an amazing experience i met a girl that i dated for a couple of years out there um who's still really you know really co- close friend and stuff now and um yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't trade the I, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world but um like from a wrestling perspective we were probably just a little bit too a little bit too new to the business to to make as much of it as what we could have I mean, did you get to actually wrestle many matches when you were there, or was it just training? Yeah, no, it was literally just training. Like, we'd go to shows and be, like, ring crew and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scott doesn't run an awful lot of shows. I didn't at the time. Um, but, you know, he when he did run a show, it would be quite a big show in, like, St. Clair College or something in front of, like, 1,000 or 1,500 people. And, like, he'd bring in, like, a big – because he, he was still – um the the knockout uh, the knockouts booker for tna at the time sure yep um so he'd have connections with tna so he'd bring in like a big tna star for the show and stuff um so we'd we'd do ring crew or do merch uh hang out at those shows help because they'd use the ring that we used to train in for the show so we'd head on the ring at the training center on the saturday and get in the cut and get in the van and and drive it to the to the to the hall and and set it up and we'd pull the rigging down at the end of the show and stuff um but yeah we weren't we weren't ready like i think the the when i went out there certainly the goal would have been 
to have been on shows by the end of our time out there. Yeah. And that didn't really happen. And that's why I say, like, I think in retrospect, I was probably too new to the industry when I went out there because mm. I could because I couldn't capitalize on that aspect of it. Um, I've been out there since and done shows and stuff, but uh, but not at the time when I was training out there. Um, so you'd already presumably you'd already had a match um, with Celtic Wrestling. Yeah, before, yeah, before you went out. Had, not many, like three or four, but we'd gone out there having had matches, yeah, for sure. So, your first match, take us back to it. Oh, this is... is everyone remembers their first time, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was some clever innuendo for all the listening fans there. <laughs> um, so, I was I was training at Celtic Wrestling, a guy called... Um, Carl Griffiths used to wrestle as K-Man was the, was the trainer. And, um, he tells me, you know, get gear because you're, you're ready to do shows. Um, that was like four or five months into training. I I hasten to add, I wasn't ready to do shows. (laughs) I would, I would disagree with that now. Um, but at the time I was like, yeah, I'm ready for shows. I'm like the greatest thing ever. Um, so I got some gear, I got some sort of like, uh, sort of eBay tights. Nice. Um, got some legit wrestling boots. In fact, the, the first ever wrestling boots I bought are the same ones I wear to this day. Really? Um, so I've only ever owned one pair of wrestling that's, boots. That's really cool because some people have a bit of a gear addiction, don't they? Yeah. I, and I mean, hey, rest, listen, I mean wrestling clearly gear. Clearly from the state of my wrestling gear, <laughs> I do not have a gear addiction. We can be pretty clear with that, right? Like, if there's one thing Eddie Dennis doesn't waste, his money on its wrestling gear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, um, we uh, he the first show he phones me up and he's like, Johnny the Body wants uh, me to bring a car up to a carnival in Worcester. Mm. Are you available? Yes, I am. So I drove. I got the train from my house in Cardiff to to Merthyr, and I drove with Carl Cayman. And Lyndon Ham and Scouse, those were their, uh, Nick Hignum, I think is his, is his real name. Um, we all drove together up to Worcester, which was, I guess, about two and a half hours in the car. Yeah. And um, for, for any uh, listeners who are avid old school wrestling fans, they'll maybe remember Johnny the Body's uh, eight foot ring. Um, but it, <laughs> it was, wasn't particularly big. Um, but, it's nearly uh, as big as you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And, and Carl's a big guy too, right? The guy who trained me. Yeah. He's like six, probably six three, six four two. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a ring in the middle of a carnival in a field, and we got changed in in the in the sort of the the social club, which was a good a good sort of one hundred and fifty yards to the other side of the field, and then oh uh, you'd have to walk through the carnival in your full wrestling gear and step into the ring. And uh, I wrestled Carl, so I wrestled the guy who trained me. Um, I thought it went fine. There is a video of it somewhere. I've never seen it. Um, but uh, I'm sure it was dreadful. But <laughs> <laughs> it seemed good to me at the time, you know. I was pretty sure I was a wrestler at the end of it. Well, that's all that matters then, isn't it, really? I but suppose. that's the thing, right? Like, like when, when I started, that's pretty much how everyone had their first match and their second match and their third match. And, and now, like... You got guys at the Projo train at the Projo. They have their first match in Tufnell Park, you know, Freedom's <laughs> Road in front of fucking what is it like three hundred people or yeah. something absolutely, you know, or the garage and you know, like when I first wrestled in the garage, it was like 
five years into my rest or maybe less but like four years into my wrestling career mm. i was like without question the high point of my wrestling career really? you know what i mean like i had bust my nuts to get to that point to wrestle for like a company like progress in a venue like the garage that was massive do you know what i mean and it, um, i suppose and, as well uh, though is is because we've we're a little bit spoiled with british wrestling at the minute because you know, quite a lot of shows now have over 300 people in them. In, yeah, you know, it wasn't it, like that back then. No, it's, but it's not like that. You know, if, if you look at independent wrestling in America, it's not like yeah, that in America even now. You know, PWG sell out really quickly and are brilliant, but it's 400 people. And they've yeah. evolved do shows in front of three, 400 people all the time. It's, I think the growth of it in the last few years... It, it has probably taken a lot of people by surprise, but you get used to it. So now it's just, for me, it's the norm that we have seven, 800 people at our shows. But Yeah, that's crazy. That's not it's, how we started. You know, we were happy to have 300. So It's crazy to think that, like, it's crazy for me even now to think that, like, going out and wrestling in the electric ballroom isn't overwhelming. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, it's still cool. Like, and you still get a real adrenaline rush off it. But that's, it's not even because there's 700 people in the room. It's just because they're really loud. Yeah. Like, it's 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 not to do with the number. It's to do with how loud they are. Like, the, the number of people that, that you're about to go and perform in front of soon becomes you become accustomed to it. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. it's not a, it's not a concern that there's, you know, a lot of people there. One, one thing that occurs to me is obviously with you, you being from, uh, from Swansea. Um, yeah. Now, because I live in North Wales, often comedy <laughs> promoters will go, will, will book me for a gig in Swansea and say, Oh, you live in Wales. Presuming that Wales is roughly the size of Northamptonshire and forgetting that it's a massive country that doesn't really have a motorway network. So I know that Swansea is a long way from me in North Wales. Um, yeah. And it, it's a long way from, it's even a long way from Cardiff. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's right at the end of the M4 and it's kind of on its own and there's not loads and loads of stuff around it. So when you started wrestling, was there, were you often sort of limited to doing stuff in Wales to start with, and then the, the more experienced you got, the more that you sort of uh, sort of so, stretch things. So when I started wrestling, I'd already so I went to university in Cardiff, mm. and then I did my PGC in Cardiff. So I was cool. living in Cardiff That's, when, yeah, I, when I did when I did you know, when I I trained to be a wrestler, mm. um, and I've never really moved back home since then. I spent a little bit of time back home when I was like in between jobs and stuff. But in general, I've always tried to like, even if it was sofa surfing, I've always tried to stay in and around Cardiff because it was easier to get to things. Sure. Um, but yeah, certainly, I guess like for that for that first year, I did a couple of shows for Celtic and then I moved out to Canada. And, and as we've already sort of like discussed, I didn't wrestle any matches at all when I was out there. Mm. Um, by the time I'd come back, I'd already got in touch with Alan Ravenhill, who runs Welsh Wrestling, um, and he wanted to use me because I could speak Welsh, and he saw it as an in for Welsh television and Welsh radio. Understandable. And, and You know what I mean? And I still do think that there is an in there, you know? Like, it's never been fully exploited. Um, and, and I still think there potentially is because there's funding for Welsh language television mm. and um, and wrestling's cheap to produce. So I still think that there's a, that 
there's something to be had there. Anyway, that's a different that's a different conversation. So I was lucky as soon as I landed from Canada, I was ready to rock and roll on Alan's Welsh wrestling mm. shows, and he was running shows in Wales, sort of on a weekly basis. Um, and and I'd be on those shows, and and Wild Board being on those shows, and Birdman would be on those shows, and Mark would be on those shows. Mm. And like a little bit down the line, Gav would be on those shows as well. Yeah. And Mark had a friendship with um, Pete from that dreaded backyard word um, <laughs> from, from 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 from, uh, from a little while prior. So we would work real hard to try and get Pete brought down to South Wales, mm. and Pete would work real hard to try and get us brought up to the Midlands. Yeah. And that is really how we started branching out a little bit further. So it was like. Uh, not even a you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but like genuine friends, do you know what I mean? Trying to help each other out. So, you know, if there was a show on in like a, in, in a carnival in Wales, then we'd be like, oh, there's this really good kid called, called Pete Dunn. Um, can he come down from Birmingham and, and he'd come down and, and do that show with us? And then Pete would be doing the, the exact same thing in some little sort of like workman's club in, in Birmingham. And we'd be, you know, we'd be traveling, uh, We'd be traveling three or four hours for a for a measly handshake and uh, <laughs> and and sort of learning our learning our craft together. Then and that's how we started branching out, really, because of our our friendship with each other. You know, and that's the thing that it's the friendships in wrestling that that seem to really sort of last and help people build their careers. Because if you think about it, I mean, in terms of there's lots of talented wrestlers in this country, but it's very rare someone comes into a locker room who doesn't have a decent relationship with, uh, and I don't just mean gets on with people, but doesn't have like a long-standing relationship with half the rest of the locker room because yeah, of course, because at the at the top end of what we do in this country, you know, there's there's people like yourself who are in the sort of elite band of people who've been doing it for a while who you know, you guys all know each other super well and all you've worked each other countless times and you've traveled and done all that sort of stuff. And that, that sort of thing doesn't go away regardless of what happens to other people and what their, where their journey takes them. I think people always still remember where they've come from, don't they? Yeah, of course. And I think there's just like, so everyone gets on with each other and knows each other super well. And then there's just like, there's little pockets of closer friendship. So obviously you've got like me and Mark and Pete and Gavin and, and, and Bo and Bird and, mm and Demo and, uh, and and Chris and like Goss and Tyler, like the attack crew, I guess, mm. would, would be how most people would class it. Um, and then you've got like a, a whole crew of people around like Curbs and Leggero and, and, and Joey Hayes and, uh, and CJ Banks and guys and, and, and guys up that little crew of people. Mm. And then there's a whole group of like Midlands type people with like, you know, um, Trent and uh, and Clint and uh, and Big Dave and Spud before them, yeah. and you know, and then you've got like the generation of like Legs and RJ and Sticks, which came a little bit a little bit before most of us, you know. Mm. Um, but but everyone's worked with each other and everyone knows each other and like you know maybe um, like Ben and uh, so so Trent and like uh, Trent introduces guys like like Chris and. And, and Tyler and Dan Maloney and stuff. And then those guys start branching out and coming down to like 
the attack crew and then they start becoming friends with them and yeah i mean there's there's still even though it's like this huge thing now with with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming to three or four different shows on the same night yeah. which is what's which is what blows my mind there's still only i don't know like you sit, sit down and count it like how is is there like maybe 50 or 60 guys who really know what they're doing i think so like, i tried to work this out the other the other day because you know, if you th- if you think about, it, and it is, we don't really have territories in this country because I know that in theory progress is seen as a London company, but we run in Manchester, we run in Birmingham, like we did yesterday, and and I'm not from London, so I don't. We've all we've always tried to use people from whoever's good, so not just, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. the shows are in London, but we're not. It's not just London talent, if if that makes sense. Because I mean, the UK is small enough that. The UK is small enough that you don't really need to be territorial, right? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the UK is, is, is the kind of size where you can, you can literally bring people from all corners of the country without too much expense, especially if you fill cars. Mm. So there's no reason why you can't just use all the most established talent mm. on, uh, on a show to make it the best show possible. Um, it's probably a little bit more territorial on the lower end. Mm. So on, on the smaller shows, you'll probably find it's more territorial in those cases because they don't have the budget to maybe drive in just a really good car from Wales and then a really good car from Birmingham and a really good car from Scotland and a really good Mm. car from London. So instead they maybe bring in one good car from one of those areas and then just use their local guys to fill up the rest of the roster. You know what I mean? Um, This is something that's popped into my head because um, I've done quite a lot of these interview uh, episodes recently and I did uh, uh, Robbie Brookside and William Regal at the same time. And they tell a story about, uh, they were telling me a story about some of the smallest crowds they worked in front of. So with that in mind, obviously we talked about, you know, when you got to wrestle at the garage for the first time, there's 350 people. It was a big deal. What's the smallest crowd you've wrestled in front of? I've never like gone out and been like, oh my God. And then like made the effort of counting. Do you know what I mean? But like, (laughs) I've, I've certainly wrestled in front of audiences, which must have had single figures paying customers. Whoa. Like I've certainly wrestled on shows where you peer through the curtain and it's five minutes to first bell and you're like, is that it? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I don't know what's gone wrong sort of thing. And then they'll bring out like all of the trainees and all of the sort of like ring crew, <laughs> and anyone who was helping out or like hangers on to the show. And you all got to sit in the crowd to try and like boost the numbers. Do you of know course. what I mean? Um, but yeah, I've, cer- I've certainly wrestled on numerous shows with single figures. Um, and it, like, I guess those carnivals are another one. Like the carnivals are the funnest experiences, but like, if it's a really blazing hot sunny day, you go out there and you're wrestling and like a bunch of people will gather around the ring to watch the wrestling, which is really awesome. Mm. And then it starts to rain and they all leave. But like <laughs> because it's because it's wrestling and because we like can't break kayfabe or like we've got to carry on and finish the match, you know what I mean? And you're, you're slipping on the floor and it's oh, like mate. ridiculously dangerous because it's raining. But you got to carry on with what you're doing. Um, so that's pretty entertaining, you know, because you, you've got your life in your hands because the the ring canvas is, is is wet and it started raining and you're trying to bimble through the rest of the the <laughs> contest and uh, literally everyone's left. You just you just do it for yourself. I and mean, you might as well just look at each other and be like, 
just call it a day, mate. Yeah, <laughs> just 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 sneak back into the van, you know, to stay dry. What such is um, our profession? Of, of course, mate. Do it, Jim. Of course. So, what with you making your decision to go full time? Yeah. What what was the, the the main driving factor for you to to say? Do you know what? I've, I know I've got a good job, but. I, I'm going to do this. What, what was what was it that that made you? you yeah. This time? So I mean, I'd I've literally been, like like this is going to make it sound like it was a really fleeting decision, and it mm. wasn't. But like this time last year, I was probably telling people, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to wrestle for. Yeah. You know, I was starting to tell people like, oh, I need to wind down with this now and concentrate on the headship because trying to do both of these things is an unmanageable task. Mm. And and clearly that's the one that I should be doing, you know, because that's the one that's paying me a really good salary. Yeah, of course. And, man. you know, and, and this one is the hobby sort of thing. Um, and I, and I, so I was thinking about like sort of winding down wrestling. I'd even thought in my head of like the companies that I would like to have my last wrestling matches with. Wow. Really? Do you know what I mean? So like I'd literally like thought in my head of like it'd be really important that I had a final match at Progress. Mm. It'd be really important that I had a final match at Chaos. It'd be really important that I had a final match at Attack. And like I'd even thought to myself, it's like it's really important that I have a final match with Pete. It's really important I have a final match with Mark and it's really important I have a final match with Mike Bird because those are like the three sort of seminal people in in my time in wrestling. Sure, sure. Um, so like I'd started constructing that in my head and how I'd like that all to play out. And then, and then everything started changing in UK wrestling, you know, mm. like all of a sudden ITV announced they're doing a, a New Year's Eve special and then WWE announced they're doing a UK tournament and, you know, and then my closest friends and peers get announced that they're on that tournament mm. and, you know, the obviously the halls are up so everyone's, like, making a little bit better money. Like, the the fans are, uh, are more adults now so they're really generous with, like, wanting to buy merchandise and prints and, and everything else which helps supplement it all as well. Um, and, uh, and then I started thinking, like, oh, well, you know, I've sort of resigned myself to the factor that this is my hobby and teaching is my profession and at some point I've got to just focus on my profession mm. but what if this was my profession you know and and watching Mark and and, and Pete and and Tyler and, and and Trent and Dan um and and Roy to a certain extent you know watching those guys on, on the UK championship tournament that was a big that was a big wake-up call for mm. me you know because I think that like for all intents and purposes, I've, I've openly considered Pete Dunne as the best professional wrestler in the UK for years. Mm. Like, back when John would ask me, oh, who, who do you think we should bring in at Progress? Like, that would always be my answer. Yeah. Like, for years and years and years. Um, but on the same token, I always just considered him a peer. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I didn't consider him like this... This, this mythical being, this person who's on a completely different level. I just considered him a, a, a peer and a friend. Sure. Um, I, I, I consider that we learned how to wrestle together in a lot of ways, you know? Mm. When, when we travel around talking about wrestling, getting to wrestle each other. And that's not just, you know, me and him. That's me, him, Mark, uh, Flash Morgan Webster, Wild Boar, you know, Mike came a little bit before us, but certainly Birdman. Like, that's all of us sort of, like, learned together so i'm looking at all these people who i don't like 
not being like I didn't consider them above me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I considered that in the last twelve months they were because of their age and because of the where they are in their lives with regards to sort of like still living at home and things, they were able to dedicate more of their time mm. to professional wrestling and had pulled away from me as a result of that. But that was the only reason, you know, that's in my mind, like to now, you know, that is the only reason. And if I was able to, I was just thinking to myself, man, I was like, man, if I could dedicate that much of myself to it, mm. then why, why can't I be there as well? Sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I guess from there, you just, you think about it and you mull it over in your head and like a couple of things went on at school, which like, stress me out like i love teaching and i would never talk negatively about the profession of teaching but like i found certain elements of headship um is it more the the admin side of it and and that sort of stuff than the actual teaching yeah you literally do hiring and firing do you know what i mean that's Mm. that's that's an uncomfortable situation for for anyone to be in and and i liked interacting with children and i liked organizing events for children and i liked um, being uh, in front of an audience of children or adults and, and presenting and, and putting things on and being being ahead in that sense. But but I didn't so much ha- like enjoy dealing with conflicts. I didn't so much enjoy dealing with like um, complaints or disputes, um, you know, and uh, I worked in a, in a private organization as well. So, you know, you've got to deal with like financial issues and things too. Sure. And I didn't really, I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy that much stuff, that, that stuff as much as well so i'm considering like whether that's my whether that's my future because i got there at a remarkably young age do you know what i mean mm. like I, I i i i got my headship at 28 um so i've got to i've got to do that job for an awful long time if i decide that's what i want to do you know for the for the rest of my life i kind of got to do it for at least another 12 years um and i wasn't sure and wrestling was kicking off and this UK championship thing was happening and like it gets to the semi-finals and I look at it and I'm like, man, Tyler, Mark and Pete are all in the semi-finals <laughs> of the UK championship tournament. Do you know what I mean? And like I was wrestling in a community center with them in Cardiff like a few weeks before or something, you know, and, and like I say, we're all peers, we're all equals, we're all just, just friends in this. And um, yeah, so went home, spoke to my girlfriend about it phoned like i never phoned my parents <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the worst son <laughs> but uh i spoke to my parents about it so, so i asked my parents opinion i was like what do you think i should do you know because um i'm i'm 31 i'd probably like to have children in the next couple of years you know i'd like to get married i'd like to you know i got a mortgage already yeah. um there are there are financial restrictions on on, on me realistically um but uh i just I spoke to all those people and like everyone unanimous was like, you've done, you've, you kept your foot in this, Mm. this entire time. You know, you managed to keep your foot in it when you were a NQT and everyone says that's really hard. You managed to keep your foot in it when you were a boarding resident tutor and that's super consuming, you know, Mm. like every other weekend you spend in the boarding house looking after the kids. So I could only work shows every other weekend. Yeah. Um, You know, I managed to keep my, and and like nobody thought, like myself included in some ways, thought I'd managed to keep my foot in it during headship. Mm. Like, 
I really thought that maybe I'd see my my bookings trickle down and dwindle down, and I kept my head in it because because it's all I loved, you know. Like, well, I remember you. T- I remember you telling us that you got the because you got the head thing. You have been working for us for a while, I'm sure. Yeah, I remember of you course, telling yeah. us, and I remember us saying congratulations. I remember having a conversation with John and Glenn saying. I, I, I bet we won't see as much of Eddie just because we presumed you wouldn't be as available because yeah, it, I mean, it would I'm take not, over your life. I'm not like it just meant that like during the whole the whole time of the headship, I was literally just like, I mean, I was working, I was getting up at five forty five, going into work, like working out for thirty minutes when I got to work in the school gym just to maintain mm. some semblance of physical fitness so that I could still perform in wrestling. Like I couldn't focus in any way on like developing a physique or something, but I just wanted to make sure that I was like cardiovascularly and strengthwise like able to protect the people who I was wrestling with. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so I do that for 30 minutes before school and then I'd work all day and I'd get home at like eight, nine o'clock at night, go to bed at 10, like lucky that I had a girlfriend super supportive and sort of like would make sure there was food ready for me and stuff. Um, but like I do that all week, Monday to Friday. A lot of times I'd go into school on Saturday morning for like fixtures or an open morning or, you know, for, for, for various meetings and things and then go off and do a show one day um, and, and, and try and spend one one day a weekend with with my girlfriend, you know. Mm. Um, but there was, yeah, there was very little uh, quality of life there, I suppose. Um, I, I so can like, sympathise with that, mate, having, having <laughs> juggled things myself. So I, I get where you're coming from, certainly. Yeah, so it's just, it's, you know, it's just hard. And, and I looked at like, yeah, and I, I, just, I just thought, Look at my, you know, my financial situation. Look at where I am in my life. Like, like I said, I would like to have kids in the next couple of years, but I don't have any mm. right now. You know, I would like to get married in the next couple of years, but I'm not married right now. You know, um, we have saved up enough money to purchase a house. Mm. You know what I mean? So I don't need to worry about making that big, that doing that big saving for like, like I think that that's probably the most significant financial sum that you ever have to drop on the table in one go do you know what i mean absolutely um and i and i don't have to worry about having to do that because we've done that Mm. um so i'm i'm at this weird in between area where yes we've bought our house and yes we've settled um but we're not quite at the level where i've got other people as in sort of like children Mm. or dependents like my parents, are, my parents, and and uh, my girlfriend's parents are, are both. You know, they're still self sufficient and stuff. They sure. don't have to rely on us to look after them or anything. So we're in that in between area, right? Mm. Um, so I was just, I just thought to myself, like, well, it's now or never. Like, I literally had come to the point of, I either quit this or I quit that. Mm, yeah, and I wasn't ready to quit this. So there was no real option. <laughs> like it, it had to be, it had to be this decision. And like I still don't know. I still don't really like the school. I think that like people had an assumption that surely he's not just going on a wing and a prayer. Hmm. You know, you'd have people come up to me and be like, "Are WWE interested?" Or like, "Have you got an opportunity in like?" japan or something i'd be like no <laughs> I, I just have my regular old indie bookings <laughs> um, and they're like really and sort of like look at me a bit like are you stupid <laughs> um but uh but 
my answer to everyone was just like, yeah, but I'm never going to get an opportunity with WWE or an opportunity to go to Japan unless I do this. Well, uh, you know, I mean, this unless is... I dedicate myself to it, nothing's going to come of it. Well, this is, and uh... I still think something can come of it. So I... I'm going to dedicate myself to it, you know? Well, this is, this is interesting because a, a wrestler who works at Progress, who, who will remain nameless, was talking to me. And they said that um, they had an opportunity to go to Japan and they still have a day job and they couldn't get time off work. So they had to turn it down. And, and that's, you know, it is people forget that wrestlers have to pay bills. And, and you know, when we, if we were saying there's maybe 50, 60 elite wrestlers in the United Kingdom, people who really know what they're doing and you trust to, to fill your cards out. Yeah. But out of those 50 or 60, there's lots that don't do it full time. And, and there's lots that do very wrestling friendly jobs. So there's, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. there are a lot of people who, as well, you'll know, there's a lot of people who are substitute teachers because they are trained teachers like you. So there's people who do substitute teaching. There's people who um, are personal trainers, which is the most suitable wrestling related job because obviously you can train all day. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, and, and yeah, there's plenty of people who do that. But there's people who still have, you know, when Jimmy Havoc was on last week, you know, he was saying that you know he used to, he's he worked as a van driver and stuff like that because you have to still pay bills. It's not, you know, wrestling is great, but uh, I don't think in the same way that I didn't become a comedian because I thought it was going to make me a millionaire. I became a comedian because I was addicted to doing stand-up gigs. That's yeah. what I was addicted to, and I think it's the same in wrestling. People become wrestlers because they want to wrestle. That's why when you've turned up and done a show in front of single figures you've still done the show and you've probably still had a blast doing it because you love wrestling. Yeah, of course. The, the love's there first. Some of those shows are the funnest shows. Like, my best memories of wrestling are probably wrestling in ridiculous places. You know what I mean? Because mm. it's, just, it's just the camaraderie and the friendship, really, that goes with it. I mean, um, what on a day-to-day basis, obviously this is your... So you, you, you finished work last week, wasn't it? So it was last... Yeah, I mean, Thursday was the last day with the kids. I had an inset day on Friday, which was like, which basically was a farewell day for me. You know, I did leave in speech and things like that. So today, which we're recording this on a Monday, so you wrestled, you wrestled over the week because you wrestled for us, and you wrestled for was it Chaos on Saturday? Yeah. So I did Saturday, Sunday this weekend. So this is my first day of not going to work. If you like, so I mean, I wouldn't have been going to work anyway, right? Because there's some holidays, but. But has it felt weird? Like, have you have you set yourself? Because I I know the thing that got me when I went full time doing stand up. The first thing that that got me was because in my head I was like, I'm going to do all the, the the most important thing to do when you're a comedian is to write. So I was I was thinking I am going to write six hours a day and treat this like it's a real job, even though I'm sat at home. And I'll be honest, that lasted for about three or four days, and then I realised I really like playing video games and sleeping. <laughs> Um, and it didn't, I'd maybe write for an hour a day, but I wasn't doing it. So if you set yourself and you're, you, you're an organized and responsible dude. So if you set yourself goals, are you like going to be, you're going to be doing more? It's like you were saying, if you only get into sort of do half an hour at the gym when you're, when you're in at school, you know, are you, have you setting yourself goals to do more stuff like that or more training or, or. Yes. So I've basically like, I'm the most 
I think I didn't think I was when I was a child, but like I think I've got to admit defeat on it. I'm like the most organized person. <laughs> so like I like to have like a really structured idea of what I'm gonna do this no, week. Nothing wrong with that, dude. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It'll so help. like so like I have a structure in my head. So I'm aware now that I'm not that I don't have a job, so I don't have anything to, to worry about with regards to that. So like I have a structure in my head of like wake up in the morning, whatever, like not put an alarm on because I, I hate an alarm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. the alarm was the bane of my life. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to never having to answer to an alarm again. That's going to be the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, so like um, wake up whenever I wake up. As soon as I wake up, go out, go for a run. Um, so like fasted cardio, if you like. Mm. Um, so go out for a run without having eaten anything. Come back home. Um, have a, a breakfast. I, I won't bore, but I have an idea of what I want that breakfast to be and stuff. Yeah. Um, sit around the house, watch telly, relax for an hour, head out to the gym, um, work out in the gym, take a shower at the gym, come back home. And then I think I'm pretty much going to, like, if I do that every morning, because, like, I'm an early riser anyway, so I'll be up by eight. Like, I'll pretty much have done that by 12 o'clock every day. Um, so my morning will be made up of going for a run, having some breakfast, going to the gym, showering, and then eating lunch. Yeah. That'll be like my morning every single day from Monday to Friday. Weekends are a little bit different if I'm away at shows. Um, but, but that's, that's sort of like my morning every morning. And then I have, like I was saying earlier, I did judo a lot as a kid. I've not been able to do it because if if teaching was my job and wrestling was my hobby, I certainly didn't have time to have a second hobby. Yeah. Um, and I really miss judo. So I'm going to start training at a, a local judo club on a, on a Wednesday from 8.30 till 10. So that's every Wednesday. That's my evening sorted with what I'm doing there. Um, and I just announced on the, the, the progress training page. So I'm going to run, um, some classes down in the pro jaw on Mondays, um, which, which that's my Monday evenings taken care of, you know? Mm. Um, and I've just lined up some private tuition on Tuesday evenings. Um, so private tuition will buy my Tuesday evenings. I'm going to take Thursday evenings off and then I'm not going to book anything ever on Friday, Saturday or Sunday evenings because right up until, the moment before I'm hoping to pick up a wrestling booking on any Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Um, so that's like the structure in my head of my new version of a working week, you know? Mm. So even though like I've lost, uh, I've, uh, I've not got my job anymore in my mind, I'm still going to be pretty busy, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think you've got to plan to be busy and, and not, if you have the right attitude going into this kind of life shift, you, your diary will fill. I, I, I'm just a believer of it. I remember looking at my diary and seeing it being quite empty when I quit. When I quit having a day job, yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, because I was available and I was willing to do stuff, it, it, you know, there was never anything holding me back, and, and cool stuff did seem to happen. It's weird how yeah, that. It's it weird how that happens. Right. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I have no doubt that'll happen for you. Um, uh, a couple more things before I let you go. Um, yeah. Um, one is, so obviously your, is it nine years into your wrestling career now? Nine years? Yeah, yeah. I guess, 2008. So, yeah, yeah we, we're edging on that magic ten. So, what would, you, what would you say your defining moment so far has been? Mm. Um, I wrestled Chris Hero twice. Um, oh sweet what a guy when, what a great guy he is he's true yeah he's the dude he's the absolute man um, and I think that like 
I'd be lying, like, I'd obviously be lying if I said, like, I really liked him when I was growing up. I had no idea who he was when I was growing <laughs> up. Um, but certainly by the time I'd started training, hmm. I was aware of independent wrestling. Hmm. And he was someone who I looked at and thought, I would like to be able to wrestle like him. Hmm. You know, he was he's a tall guy. He's got a very similar frame to me. Um, in some ways, like, at various points in his career, he's had a similar body type to me. Um, and, and he wrestled in a way that I wanted to wrestle like, yeah. you know? Um, so I always wanted to wrestle him. So when I got to wrestle him the first time, it went really well. It was really like a magic atmosphere that evening. Hmm. Um, that was like a real, a real defining moment. Um, I think that there are other ones like, um, it's, it's, you know, like a, a, a forgotten gem in the archives of progress, but, um, me and Mark wrestled Swords of Essex at Chapter 11. It sounds oh, like a really... I've not like forgotten really, it, mate. It was great. <laughs> so there you go. It sounds like a really random match, but like that was a match which which I stick, to this day, I still think has good replay value. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and was a big confidence builder in being able to construct something of that nature. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like stylistically, that kind of thing. Um, there's the time where I said goodbye to Mark at Progress. Which was um, brilliant. I'd forgotten that until you just brought it back up. That's a great moment. Yeah, so it's a really seminal moment, just in mm. a sense of like, um, it's, it's not, it wasn't acting by any stretch of the imagination. Um, however, in that moment, forget about the match, forget about the, the, the preamble that leads up to the match, just watch the promo. Like, in a minute and a half of me speaking, I've managed to elicit an emotional response out of the audience, yes. which is very difficult to replicate. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, I agree. Like everyone really cared about what I was saying. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a cool moment. And then like the, the last thing is, is, is literally probably the video I released on Thursday mm. and it didn't, didn't take place in a wrestling ring because like I've been involved in wrestling, like you say, for almost 10 years. And I feel like I've managed to, make a lot of people laugh and do you know what I mean maybe mm. in that moment where I where I said goodbye to Mark I managed to make a couple of people cry too you know um but like all and for me at least this isn't won't be the same for everyone but for me at least the greatest type of any entertainment medium is one which elicits an emotional response from people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my favorite songs aren't my favorite songs because they've got a really killer double kick drum beat. Do you know what I mean? And mm. like my favorite movies aren't my favorite movies because they have ridiculously good special effects. My favorite songs are the ones which elicit a really strong emotion out of me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, like there's a song by Jimmy Eat World called Your House, which literally... St- to this day still makes me cry every time I listen to it mm. because it makes me think of a, of a, of a, of a, of a specific time in my life. And, and that makes me really upset, you know, like, so that is like the wonder of, of, of entertainment. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and, and when I did that video, like I did it as a, as a way of, of, of sort of promoting myself as, you know, to, to get a to get a, be- a baby face response crudely do you mm. know what i mean to make people have an, an an affiliation and affection towards me but i also did it because i hadn't i genuinely hadn't told 
some close friends and family of the decision that I was making. Yeah. And I wanted to tell them all at once. It's a heck of a way to tell people as well, isn't and it? I, and I wanted to do it in a, in a memorable way, you know. Mm. Um, but what I wasn't, so I wanted to do it for that reason. I wanted to do it for that reason. I wanted to create a little bit of buzz for myself coming straight into full time, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, but, but what I didn't anticipate was how many people who had nothing to do with wrestling would really care about this video. Yeah, like, what, yeah I get what I did not, like, it didn't take into account that, like, that first day, that Thursday, we are talking, like, 15, 20 personal messages an hour of people being like, I've never seen wrestling, but a friend of mine just linked me mm. to that video. It's absolutely beautiful. I think you're a, a wonderful ambassador for the children that you taught. Mm. I think that it's a fantastic message to send the children, you know, like... I didn't account for that. So I think that like that video is like hugely definitive just in a sense of, you know, probably more so than anything that I've done in a wrestling ring or anything. Yeah. Um, I've potentially like, this sounds like ridiculous, but I've potentially changed people's lives, you know? Mm, no, I agree, like, man. Potentially someone's watched that video and been like, you know what, that guy's right. Mm. You shouldn't waste your time doing things like that you don't, that you don't love mm. um, because because life's too short. You know, you can make a positive contribution to society, but you can do it doing what you love doing. And if you have something like that, you shouldn't let, you know, society's norms because it's the, you know, the wrong decision mm. financially or wrong decision sensibly. Um, you shouldn't let that stop you sort of thing. Um so I, I guess that video is is hugely definitive. Um, uh, this is my, my last main question for you: is now you're full time. What's yeah. have you set yourself any goals? Is the main goal just I want to be able to pay my bills with wrestling? Because when I went full time with comedy, that was my I didn't have any lofty goals to be on TV or anything. It was just I want to be able to pay my bills with comedy. So is is that? Your, your goal and anything else is a bonus or have you set yourself very specific goals that, that you want to achieve? That is by a country mile the biggest goal. Mm. By a country mile. If someone says, what do, you, like, what do you hope to accomplish from this decision? The biggest thing is for me and my girlfriend to be able to live in my house, pay my mortgage, mm. feed my cat, um, <laughs> and, 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 and live. We don't have, we don't live a, like, I don't, I have really low means. Do you know mm. what I mean? I don't, I don't want for anything. Um, so like to be able to live our lives and, and, and be ha happy and healthy just from wrestling. Yeah. That is by a long way, the, the biggest thing. So not have to do private tuition, not have to, um, do any supply teaching, not have to do anything else, just being able to just wrestle. Mm. That's, that's it. And to do that, like, but I have, I'd, I'm I'm a believer in like setting yourself small goals, accomplish the small goal, set yourself a bigger goal, right? Yeah. So like the small goal is like to wrestle every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Hmm. That's the first goal, and then I won't get into like details, but like I have a baseline of money that I want to make at every one of those shows, hmm. and I feel like if I make that baseline, 
at every one of those shows and I wrestle every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, yeah. then that is enough money for me to pay my mortgage, feed my cat, me and my girlfriends be able to go out for dinner every now and again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and us to be able to afford to pay for our Netflix subscription and our internet <laughs> subscription. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like go, go to Tesco shopping and buy what we want to buy. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. not think like, Oh, we got to buy the blue and white label of everything. Cause we're really struggling <laughs> to get by sort of thing. Like, you know, if Doritos are on sale, I want to be able to buy Doritos, Jim. Like, I don't want to have to. Uh, I don't want to have to put them back because they're too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is my final question for you, and it's from my wife. Um, oh, beautiful. Um, she wants to know um, how much a fellow do you... Welsh lady. Well, I mean, I'm not a lady. No, but, but she's a she's, Welsh she's a Welsh. Um, she's a Welsh. Um, how uh, this is just from something that me and you and my wife experienced one day after a show at the garage. Um, uh, how much is this going to be to do with dogs? It is. How much do you really, really love dogs? <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's a quality gag which nobody it's... on your airwaves are going to understand, Jim. I'm... I don't know how you've made it as a comedian because <laughs> that makes no sense mate, to anyone mate. except for me, you, and your wife. Ninety percent of what I do, both in the ring when it's comedy and um, on stage as comedy, is just me doing in jokes to myself. <laughs> That's um, so to, funny. To explain, we left the garage one one time, and, and Eddie's uh, Eddie's talking to us and uh, just chatting to me and my wife as we're walking away, or going to back to our cars and whatever. And all of a sudden, Eddie just breaks off because he sees a dog, and he's just like, oh, "I love dogs," <laughs> and and it's cracked me up ever since. And I think for for the next year, every time I saw you, I'd be like, "Do you love dogs, Eddie?" Because it, yeah, it just you did, it, it's yeah. you run me down for that one, Jim. You see, this is why um, I'm surprised that you've got a cat and not a dog now. Ah, uh, no, then. So I that wasn't my choice, you know, Jim. That wasn't <laughs> my choice. I love Terry the cat, but he'd have been a Rottweiler if I had my way. Um, I just think, you know, I I grew up, uh, I grew up with dogs like my entire life. So we had a spaniel that lived outside and we had a Staffordshire Terrier that lived inside Mm. for all of my, all of my childhood. And then the spaniel passed away and, um, and then the Staffy passed away and we got another, uh, got another Staffy and then we had a Rottweiler. So like my entire adult life, uh, my entire childhood, there was always dogs around the house, you know? Um, and, uh, they're just the best because they're so affectionate, you know, like it doesn't matter how much of like a sucky day you've had. If you've been like teased at school or like when you're a bit older, if some girls been mean to you, you know what I mean? Or like <laughs> you're a bit older again, if you've like been at work and it really sucked when you come in and you open the door and your dog tries to knock you over to lick you to death. Like that cheers you up, man. Do you know what I mean? I know like, what you mean, man. If someone run up to me, started licking me. I'd love it. So, <laughs> So I just, yeah, so I have an affinity towards them. And unfortunately, since I moved away from home when I was like, um, I, I guess for the first time at like 18 or 19, I never really moved back home. I I've, I've never been able to have that. So if I do, you are right, if I do see a dog walking down the street, I do tend to be that really annoying person that runs up to the owner and just starts playing with their dog. And the owner's <laughs> like, dude, I'm trying to take my dog home. I've got to work in 10 minutes. And I'm like, come on, what's his name? Oh, he's great, isn't he? Sort of like roughing his face. But um, when we got our pet, we spoke about, me and Liana spoke about getting a pet. We really wanted one. Um, and uh, I was a head teacher at the time, obviously. So I was, I was out of the house most of the time, you know. Mm. Um, 
and Liana is not so interested in dogs. She she grew up with cats, and um, ultimately she was going to have to be the person who was going to have to spend most of the time with this animal. Yes. And she did not want to have to walk a dog every day. And I was like, I'll walk it. I'll get it because we, we did have a little fight about whether it would be a cat or a dog, you know. And uh, she'd be, and I'd be like, I'll get up and walk it. And she's like, You won't. You won't. You'd say you will, but then school would be getting hard and you'd like have some evening function and you wouldn't get up early to walk the dog and then I'd have to walk it. And I don't want to walk a dog. I want to have a cat because it walks itself. Um, it is sound so, logic. Yeah, it's sound logic. I mean, the flip side is like literally seven or eight months after we got a cat, I quit my job, so we could have got a dog. I've got plenty of time to walk a dog now, and I, all I got's time. I might answer those adverts to walk other people's dogs. i got so much time. Mate, um, if you're ever so, having a week where you've not got those three bookings, then maybe yeah. that's maybe that's yeah. what goes in. Jump into dog walking, exactly. <laughs> that's my real vocation. People thought it was kids. I thought it was wrestling. We were all wrong. It was dogs. <laughs> Jim Smallman had it right all along. Yeah. Um, so um, we ended up getting Terry the cat. But actually, sorry to no, it's on harping on about dogs, and more specifically now my cat Terry. Terry is like a dog in a cat's body. Oh, tremendous! So we just we lucked out, and we got this cat that comes up and greets you when you come in, and like rubs up against your legs and wants to be like, and he he, he like chews you and play fights with you the same way as a dog does. Um, and like it hurts way more because he's got sharper teeth, but <laughs> I don't care because I still like to treat him like a dog. So whenever people visit, I'm like, you got to keep your shoes on because my cat will chew you. And, and they're like, that's not a very good habit for a cat to have. And I'm like, well, I think it's awesome because <laughs> because I get to play with him like a dog. And that's great. So, uh, yeah, for all intents and purposes, my cat is a dog, just a small dog who um. walks himself. <laughs> Um, if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with you, buy merch, send you pictures of their dog. Um, how, do, how do how do they get in touch with you, Eddie? Well, I've got a separate email for the dog picture. <laughs> I don't. Um, so, how do you get in touch with Eddie Dennis? Um, I really like uh, Twitter at the moment. Twitter's like my my big thing at the moment. I think it's a great way to interact with people because you can't ramble on like I am right now. <laughs> um, so, at Eddie Dennis nineteen eighty six on Twitter. Um, I have a Facebook page called uh, facebook.com forward slash Eddie Dennis Wrestling. Um, I'd way rather, when when fans add you, I'd way rather they add the, the, the wrestler page mm-hmm. than try and add my personal page. Like, that's not, I just, you know, my personal page has, like, my mum commenting on it and, like, <laughs> my girlfriend and stuff. You know, they don't want to be part of that. They just want to find out what cool shows i'm on and stuff and uh i still respond to personal messages on my on my wrestling account so um that, that's the one to add their fans um and yeah eddie dennis defend at outlook.com if um if you want to book me for a show and, and which would be fabulous because i've got to pay this mortgage somehow so have you got any merch for sale anywhere at the minute actually that's another thing oh. to point people at Jim, I forgot to plug my merch channel. You can tell I've not been full time for long. Hey, we'll get um, you there. We'll get you there, mate. Yeah, Don't worry. We'll get you there. It's all right. Spoon fed by Jim. There. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, yes, yes, I do have some merch. It's funny you should ask that, Jim, because I do have some merch for sale at the moment. It's available over at eddydennis.bigcartel.com, uh, um, and I've got a brand new full length, uh, full uh, long sleeve shirt. 
um, which has We Came to Party on it, and then the scene of a house party, and I'm the only person left standing, which is an which anyone who knows me is a really fictional scene because that would never happen. Um, however, for the for the case of the character which I portray as a wrestler, I'd like to think I'd be the last person standing when in reality I'd be the first person passed out on a sofa. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got these new beautiful prints by, by James Musselwhite. Um, we're only releasing 50 of them, mm. um, which is like a half and half. I, I've seen that, end. mate. It's brilliant. It's so cool. Yeah. He's such a, he's such a clever dude. And like he immediately, when we went, I was like, I need a, I need a picture for the FSM article. And I was like, and I want to do something different. I don't just mm. want it to be like a, a picture of me in my wrestling gear. Uh, and he immediately was like, I've got it. We'll do this 50-50 shot. Mm. Like, it took us about 15 or 20 minutes, mainly because I had to get changed and then sit in exactly the yeah. same place. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his, his his vision to put things like that together are second to none, really. Mm. So are there, are there any other media forums which I haven't, which I've neglected just, to address? Just give everyone your merch link again. Do that. Just, just slower. Yeah, just so everyone. I want to make sure it's definitely in everyone's head, and they all go and buy merch. Shall I spell it out for you? <laughs> no, no, just do it slower. <laughs> um, it's Eddie Dennis. Dot Big Cartel. Dot com. There you go. You see, I just, I just want people to support independent wrestling, mate. And you're now, a, yeah. you're you're firmly full time at the coal face, as it were. Who doesn't? And so. I think that, like we we spoke about this. Here's, I'm going to give everyone an mm. inside scoop to Jim Smallman's podcast. He actually chats with you briefly before you go on the air. Yeah. So we spoke a little bit before we went on the air to me about the fact that, like, fans don't even realize sometimes that, like the fact that they are generous in buying merchandise mm. and things like that is what allow us to make decisions like I made last Thursday. Absolutely. You know, like they are, they are directly contributing to the success of this as a, as a, as a growing profession Mm. in, in the UK. So it's huge. Yeah. Um, Well, listen, thanks for chatting, mate. And um, I know it's all going to work out really well for you, but um, we will, we will monitor your, uh, your uh, full-time success very, meteoric very rise to stardom. That's Jim. what's happening, we'll mate. Monitor my meteoric rise to stardom. That's Let's what we cut, will do. Edit, replace, play that again. <laughs> what, are you, what are you gonna monitor, Jim? Your meteoric rise to stardom. That's right. Yes, yes, we are. Listen, thanks again, mate. I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thanks, dude. So that was my chat with the wonderful pride of Wales, Eddie Dennis. Remember, again, if you see him at an indie show, he's full-time now. Support him. Buy his merch. And do that with all independent wrestlers. You like an independent wrestler, you support them. Buy their merch. Look after them, because that's the whole point of what they do. Everyone becomes a wrestler because they want to entertain people, first and foremost, but everyone's got to be able to pay the bills. Myself, as a wrestling promoter, I'll pay people good money to wrestle. But you, as a fan, if you get the chance to support a wrestler, always Always try and do it because I know wrestlers always appreciate that. And you'll be surprised how often wrestlers have got time to just talk to anybody, even if you're only chucking them a couple of quid for a pin badge or something. People will always spend time talking to you. So, you know, bear that in mind when you're at your next indie show. That's what I say. Um, so, again, thank you to Eddie. We wish him all the best uh, with his uh, his career now. He's gone full time. He doesn't need any luck. He'll do fine. He's already great. Um, 
Once again, support this podcast at Jim Smallman on Twitter. Use the hashtag TuesdayNightJaw. Point people at jimsmallman.com slash TNJ. Go to jimsmallman.com slash TNJ and come to the live Tuesday Night Jaw, Saturday, September the 9th at noon. £12.50 a ticket. It'll be an hour and a half of me and guests and regulars debating the ideal dream card if we were put it together. It It will descend into madness. But... Do come along. We'd really appreciate you guys coming along. Um, uh, so that's Saturday, September the 9th at noon in London. Uh, so the uh, the London Podcast Festival. Super excited about doing that. So do please come along to that. Details at jimswoman.com slash TNJ. Support everything on the Distraction Pieces Network. They're all great podcasts. Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces, uh, Say Why to Drugs, the Stop and Search Podcast, and Hardcore Listing are all brilliant. Please listen to them. Please support our network. The more you support the Distraction Pieces Network, the more we can grow. And we find that absolutely amazing when you choose to do that. Please tell people about this podcast as well and not just point them at my website. Rate and review and subscribe and do all that stuff because it really genuinely helps me out. It helps uh, helps gain advertising for the podcast and helps me make a couple of quid so I can keep it going and I can interview cooler and cooler people and travel and do what I need to do in order to make this podcast keep working and keep putting episodes out every week. And finally, please check out ProgressWrestling.com for tickets and merchandise for Progress Wrestling and Demand-Progress.com for all uh, of our shows from the last five years, including loads with Eddie Dennis on and loads of other people. Uh, Some people still in progress, some people who have gone on to to other things in the United States and Japan. Just go and check it all out. We're very proud of what we've done over the course of the last five years. Anyway, thanks for listening this week. Uh, There's another episode next Tuesday. As always, I shall speak to you then. Thanks, guys. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.